now. This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, breathing animal. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy, and we are licking our lips in anticipation because in under 24 hours, the Women's World Cup kicks off in France with the host Le Bleu taking on the Korea Republic at the Parc de France. And our very own Matilda is scheduled to get their campaign underway against the Azzurri Italy at 9pm on Sunday evening. But first edition news with Willem van Denderen is shortly before we talk to Matilda legend Joey Peters to set the scene in France. Then after what will long be remembered as one of the best ever European tournaments, the voice of Anfield, our friend George Sefton, will reflect on Liverpool's triumph for the ages in last Sunday morning's Premier Champions League final against Tottenham Hotspur. Then with the domestic season over, we're going to mix things up a little bit with our occasional contributor, former ITN journo Derek Dyson, who's prepared an EPL scorecard for us in the second hour, as we always do. Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest in Socceroos Matilda's Central. Then, while our number one priority, of course, this week is to focus on the Matilda's chances at the World Cup, we just cannot ignore the fallout and unanswered questions following the FFA Heather Reid press statements last week. So we're going to break down the latest position with one of the most respected voices in Australian sport, the ABC's Tracy Holmes, who on her podcast, The Ticket, broadcasts some of the most explosive allegations of the entire story. I'm intrigued to hear what Tracy has to say on all this and her position. Then we'll continue with Dino and Derek to look at the Nations League and wrap it up direct from Paris with edge and stoppage time as the countdown to the World Cup continues. Dino, um, yeah, we, uh, we, we had the podcast in the can last week and then the, uh, the FFA stories... Uh, the genie uh, came out. It did come out of the <laughs> bottle. So, uh, look, it seems to have died down in the last couple of days, but we are going to address it. Um, but uh, with respect to that story, the priority right now is uh, the Matildas and, oh, yeah. uh, and the focused, excitement building around yeah, the World focused Cup. Focused on getting off to a good start. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll talk to Joey in uh, in just a minute about that. Um, but Willem, you've got a stack of news piled up in front g'day of us. So yeah, get out, mate. Get stuck into it. The Socceroos look set to participate in next year's Copper America, with the FFA hoping to confirm the news within the next fortnight. Australia and Qatar look set to be the international guests at the 12-team tournament, which Australia had initially bid to host. The Copper America will be held in Chile and Argentina from the 12th of June until the 12th of July, 2020. Boys, I'm extremely excited by this news. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, um, when Australia can uh, compete in uh, international tournaments like um, what's that, uh, the Eurovision Song Contest, <laughs> we might as well be able to go to the Copper America. <laughs> I think it's important as well. I think in recent World Cups we've been able to handle European opponents fairly well. Asian opponents we obviously see a lot of, but we've been a bit shocked in recent times by South, South Americans, American, and yeah. we don't seem to play much of them otherwise. Yeah, they just, there's something about the South American teams when they play, um, minnows of, of the world football, that lack of disre- lack Nothing of respect that, that they have. Um, they, they don't seem to, um, to, to, uh, present it in a, in a condescending fashion. It seems to me to, to come out in an, in a, in a confidence that they, we're just better than you are and we're just going to go out and beat you. Yeah. But, but we have um, proven a couple of points, uh, most notably against uh, Uruguay, uh, and uh, reminded them that we can play a little bit. And uh, you know, I still remember, uh, I know um, uh, when um, Diego Maradona was here for that Argentina World Cup tie all those years ago, um, I'll never forget um, watching the great man play at the Sydney Football Stadium. 
Foxtel are reportedly looking to sell a portion of their exclusive A-League rights to a free-to-air network amid their significant financial woes. Foxtel last month signalled a reduction in non-marquee sporting content, which seems to include the A-League. While free-to-air networks have broadcast A-League matches in the past, this would be different as no other as a network other than Fox uh, would not be exclusively broadcasting league matches. What do we think of this, gents? It's interesting, isn't it? It's a worry for, I think, the Australian game in, in general, especially with the A-League, you know, the dwindling um, support, uh, crowds. Um, the question, uh, Dino, though, is, is if... Uh, um, if they uh, p- put the um, the games on at a reasonable time, I mean, it's it's all uh, it's not only a matter of of putting on sport that people are interested in when you know they're interested. It's a matter of some of these free to air networks actually making the effort to use some of their program airtime and inventory. Yeah. Um, and our, our guest Derek will come in later on and perhaps might even comment uh, on it because uh, in terms of television, uh, you, you need to promote your product. You can't. Uh, there's very few uh, products, whether it's it's mainstream television or, or sport, that uh, that builds up on its own. The networks have got a responsibility to promote these products, and if they don't do anything about it, um, then then it's it's not going to rate. Well, I think the free-to-air option would be good because obviously then that, that brings people who aren't on Foxtel that they don't get to see the game. So at yeah. least there's an opportunity. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it might be some short-term pain for long-term yeah. gain because obviously, you know looking at other codes like Super Rugby, for example, and the sort of death of rugby union in Australia being hidden away on Foxtel, and I think probably some wider exposure via free-to-air. And free-to-air networks are really motivated by sports at the moment. They, you know, they're seeing their viewing figures kind of leeching elsewhere, but one ratings winner for them will always be yeah. uh, sports. So I think it could even be a good thing. Yeah. The Matildas and the PFA have launched a campaign called Our Goal Is Now in a bid for prize money equity between the male and female World Cups. Just 7.5% of last year's male pay packet is on offer at the Women's World Cup, something the PFA believe can be immediately rectified given FIFA's almost $4 billion Australian dollars in the bank. There's $43 million on offer at the Women's World Cup compared to just $575 million at last year's male World Cup. So our goal is now is... Uh, a social media campaign. Uh, PFA chairman John Didelitzer has said they've been correspondent, uh, in correspondence with FIFA over the past year, but nothing's been done, so the campaign is going ahead. Well, it should. Um, you know, if we just wait forever um, until um, until ratings equate to dollars and finance, then uh, um, then it'll never happen. Um, I'm an advocate of it. Just get on with it and, uh, and make yeah, the effort. Uh, you know, uh, men have um, have had. Uh, the, uh, the more than their share of the spoils over the years, and I think it talks to the point um, about uh, promoting um, sport on TV. This very same issue as well. So, what I'd, do you reckon? I'd like to see the FFA. We should clean up our own backyard in that uh, respect as well, and let's get equity between the Matildas and Socceroos first, mm-hmm. as is seen with Norway. We discussed on last week's yeah. program. So let's do that as well, and then fight on the global scale for the World Cup uh, pay. Yeah, but uh, look, it's it's. I, I don't blame the, the Matildas for, no, for getting all, on no. the front foot at, at this time. At least it's going to get some publicity. All right, speaking of Matildas, we're going to talk to Joey Peters after the break because we are absolutely pumped about the Women's World Cup and we want to find out what she thinks. I know she's a little nervous, but Joey tells it like it is and she's going to tell it to us next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. 
Breakfast. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport and one of the most anticipated sporting events, not only this year, but in recent years, is about to kick off in less than 24 hours' time. And not only is it anticipated because women's football is one of the leading sports internationally right now, but because Australia are a red-hot chance and a lady who is going to be up all night for about the next six weeks is Joey Peters working at SPS. Matilda Legend, Joey, welcome back to the show. Hey guys, thanks for the reminder there. No uh, sleep, no glory. I think it's a catch cry, mate. Exactly. It, it's like Christmas, isn't it? When you're a little kid, you just uh, you just can't wait. <laughs> That's right. And look, this is the the tournament we've all been waiting for. Look, the Women's World Cup just keeps getting better and better and better. Um, I mean, I was just looking at some facts from 2015. 750 million people. Uh, viewed that um, World Cup, so it's just going to surpass that and be close to, you know, uh, the biggest events in the world. I just hope the people down under realise it. I know that it's horrible time frames for us, but let me tell you, the rest of the world, Europe and uh, the USA, even the rest of Asia, they're all going to be so heavily involved in this tournament, so us Aussies better get in on it too. Yeah, well, look, we've got a, a good start, though, don't we? Um, that 9pm on Sunday night's a good way to, to get it started, so it, it'll be uh, prime time for, for most then you know you've got some 2am starts as well but hey um, those uh, of us diehard football supporters are well and truly used to getting up in the middle of the night to watch um, you know great games and uh, and this uh, this tournament's not going to be any different Joey. Yeah that's right look um, and, and it's great to see um, some great uh, coverage taking place with Optus Sport I mean I'll be on SBS with Foz and Tracy Holmes and so it's getting good coverage you're right there you know, there is that good uh, that first game if we can get a win there then That'll really encourage people to, to watch it, even if they have to tape it and, and watch it. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, really hope that people, you know, can follow not only um, the Matildas, because we love the Matildas and what they stand for in terms of representing us as a country, um, but also the other the other teams around the world. There's some wonderful stories, if, you know, there's, and that's the other good thing. There's a lot more um, stories out now about the history of each team. I've been lucky enough to do um, some articles for The Guardian and they're doing a comprehensive coverage as well. If you want to look at the history, Mm. how much funding each team is getting. Um, It's so intriguing, just the story, not only on the field, but what's happening off the field as well. Yeah, that's sure. BBC Sport is one of my favourite international sporting websites. And the front page every day, they've been having profile pieces and uh, a brilliant one on Sam Kerr the other day. So we're going to talk to Tracy later in the the show, Joey, and uh, and we really want to focus on the football here. But uh, uh, we did get a bit of the speed wobbles last weekend um, against the Dutch and uh, uh, the timing of of the FFA um, press releases... uh, was not good, and um, and we wonder whether that impacted um, in the dressing room. I know Ante Milicic said afterwards he wasn't going to talk to um, the players about the the issues surrounding uh, the ongoing fallout of Alan Stajic. But uh, do do you think that may have impacted the team uh, given the timing um, of, the, of that final friendly? Look, the whole situation it's not going to go away just within you know for the players to move on so quickly because of obviously Stajic's influence in the Matildas, but also in women's football over the last you know however long. So his influence, um, you know, whether it was positive or negative, we still don't know. Um, but you know that that doesn't go away in a hurry. So Milicic has actually done a really good job to come in and and. Um, yeah, just wipe that slate clean. But you wonder how clean it is because, yeah, the girls, um, I don't know if it was particularly that that would have been weighing on their mind, but 
certainly the change of um, coach and in terms of you know the, the variations that he was adding to this um, game, you just kind of wonder, is it, a, you know, again, is it a bit too late that he's come in and tried to change things? Um, we'll, we'll only see, we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, I, I, I think the girls will be fine in terms of their mindset. I mean, you saw them uh, overall. They're a lot happier bunch. You can hear from, you know, players like seeing Katrina Gorry back in action, said that she had, you know, the hardest two years of her life. Mm. Um, and But she's, she's, uh, playing well again. Then you had Tamika Yallop say, you know, there's a lot less stress, concern and uncertainty in the group. She quoted quote there. So you can get the sense that, that it's all been a positive step forward for them. Um, in terms of that particular game, yeah, there were some worrying things, signs on the field. Um, but also it was the best preparation that we could have possibly had playing um, the Netherlands and the US beforehand mm. for what they're about to face. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Matilda legend Joey Peters ahead of the World Cup, which is kicking off in one day's time, Dina. Yeah, Joey, it's Dean here. How are you? Hi, Dean. Good. Yeah, yeah good. Not too bad. Now, I'm uh, pretty focused now on this first game of ours. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on Italy and, and how we most probably need to prepare for this game to get the, the valuable three points? Yeah, what a crucial game first up. In Europe, you, you get the feeling that all these European teams, are um, it's a home game for them. So for us, it's very much an away game. And even as we saw with the Netherlands, just the last couple of years, Europe has suddenly woken up and the rise of the the women's national teams is, is coming to the fore and, and Italy is a part of that. They've, their club football is now all under the Italian Federation. They've been getting uh, wonderful crowds um, with Juventus. I think it was 39,000 people there. And so, you know, you just get that sense with such a history uh, when these bigger European nations are suddenly saying, oh, yes, women's football, we want to go for it. Um, they've got such a great culture, don't they, in football? So naturally, they've got some wonderful quality players. But also, if you have a look at what this female coach has done in the last couple of years, and, and Italy are known for a 4-4-2, yeah, but I saw them play recently um, and, uh, yeah, got some footage of them. And it's such a fluid 4-4-2, goes into a 4-3-3 with the wingers, uh, midfielders pushing on. I mean, they're... they're yeah, quite uh, a formidable team in relation to how they actually play. So I think um, the Matildas having played the Netherlands because they've obviously just uh, risen in the last couple of years as well, obviously winning the European Championship. That would, again, be a fantastic preparation for this Italian team because I know that Milicic is wary of them and he should be because I'm telling you, these European teams are beginning to be on another planet because they're investing in their women's football now. So with you, with you saying what you said there with the, the, the flu, fluidity of the way they go forward and change their systems, you know, from 4-4-2 yes. to 4-3-3, uh, do you expect the starting lineup to change in any way to maybe possibly combat that? Or do you think, have you got in your mind what, uh, what uh, the coach is going to go with and based on the, the two games just previously played? Yeah, look, it doesn't seem like Australian coaches like to adapt too much to other teams, what we've seen, um, they, and, and Milicic seems to be the same, although he has you know, tried a few things, but I think it's still in relation to how the team operates as opposed to who they're actually playing. So what, but what you will find is with the Italian, they'll adapt to whatever numbers are around the ball. So or, or, 
say if they need to defend, they'll bring 11 players back to defend if they need. If they need to push forward, they'll, they'll take, you know, um, eight players to push forward as well. So I'm not sure how we're going to deal with things like having, you know, uh, two central strikers. How often do we play against two central strikers? Um, and then pushing up sometimes their, their midfielders become four up front. I, I'm not sure if we've created, uh, if we're developing enough adaptability in our players to be able to, to work with such a fluid system um, to play against. That's my only concern. But, look, um, you know, Milicic has proven that he's certainly a student of the game, so he's definitely going to prepare them as best as possible. I just hope that in within the game, the girls can adapt to wherever the numbers end up. We can still um, read that and work together as well as this Italian team's going to be. Yeah, well, you mentioned Milena Bertolini, who is the Italian manager, played 239 games in the, the top flight in uh, in Italy. Uh, she's been the uh, the Serie A best manager of the season on six occasions, and at the end of the 2010-11 season, she. Uh, uh, obtained her UEFA Pro licence, and for those who are not familiar, that obviously allows her to coach men's game, uh, men's teams at the highest level. So, so she is a, a pretty serious, uh, as you to use your word, student of the game. And uh, and given the Italians haven't qualified for the uh, the Women's World Cup in 20 years, this is their first World Cup since 1999. As you said, the the, the lights have uh, have turned on, haven't they, in Europe? They're they're now starting to take women's football. Um, very, very seriously, and uh, and and they uh, they had all of the the tools and equipment and culture and history of success around them um, in the men's game to 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 learn from immediately and and fast track their development. Yeah, and look, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Bertolini there because there's something about it, guys. I, I don't know what you know this the female coaching when nations seem to 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 respect and 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 accept that the women's, in terms of coaching roles, mm. have a lot to offer. And let me tell you, this yeah, this particular coach, like you've rattled off her achievements, but the, when you hear her talk about the football, she's saying stuff like, I don't care about formations, I care about concepts. And mm. this is where I feel like, you know, we can be taught a lesson here in Australia. We, we, we still get stuck on the old 4-3-3 or what formation we're doing. They're not caring about that. When you, when you see them play, they are all, especially defend, defending, they know, you know, we're talking about these concepts, defend, um, pressure, cover, depth, what is it, balance, the principles of the game. These players understand and, and to hear that come from a coach, you know, and, you know, if we compare our situation here to Australia, again, I don't want to keep playing the gender card, but there is something in it when we're in a mess with our own coaching culture here. You know, this, um, what's come out with Alan Stadzik and we, you know, we had a failed attempt at trying to bring in a female coach in history into Roos a couple of years ago. There's something to be said when a nation can embrace, um, their female and she's a former player. Their former players, um, embrace female coaches. We're slowly doing it, but there's still a long way to go. And, and yeah, for me, it just shows. That we, we yeah we need to fear Italy because the last couple of years under her mm. the, um, their team has been quite quite devastating in in their form and not only as a team but individually they've got some wonderful players. Joey, I hope we don't learn the hard way. Um, <laughs> yes. but, uh, uh, it's, I'm uh, so sorry. I feel like I'm so nervous. Yeah. Kind of like, oh, you look yeah. at all the things, don't you? I mean, yeah, we've got such a great team as well, and not to say that. 
you know, we certainly can't do it. I don't want to say that as well, but we certainly need to be aware of what we're up against here in Europe now. Joey, just put you on the spot. Last question for the for the evening. Who's going to win? <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm certainly everything in me says Matilda's. Um, like I said, you, you know, that these guys will know who they're coming up against in terms of Italy and will give them that respect. But I think as much as um, we're still very young under Milicic in terms of how he wants to play, I think when it comes to it, these girls have shown that they're experienced as a group. And on the big stage, first game of the tournament, I think they're going to bring the goods. And even if it's just one goal up, but we'd, I think they'd love to see, or, or we'd all love to see, a clean sheet or only, you know, if maximum one goal against. Because that's been our concern. So if they still can keep a clean sheet or just let one goal in, you know Sammy's going to get one, even though she didn't score in the last game. There is goals in it. So, mm. you know, that's what I'm hoping for, a big win for Australia with, um, with a great defensive effort. Well, Joey, we'll be really looking forward to watching your work on SBS and... Uh, Hopefully the Matildas um, take that next step up. If you want to be the best, you've got to beat the best. Uh, so, um, so let's find out just how good we are and, uh, and let's enjoy this tournament now that um, hopefully we can put to one side um, all of the issues that have led into it and just enjoy the tournament and, uh, and our women can, uh, can do themselves justice because, uh, God, they've worked really hard to get there and, um, and we uh, will look forward to talking through uh, throughout the tournament with you uh, um, a couple of a couple of times. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a big one. And a proud Matilda here saying, come on, come on, Aussies, all the way. <laughs> Good come on you, Joey. Joey Peters, legend. <laughs> Uh, Thanks, so, guys. You're welcome, Joe. Well, look, we're going to switch tack now because last Sunday morning we got up early and, uh, and watched Liverpool uh, uh, take apart uh, Tottenham Hotspur. And a man who was, as he said, I was messaging him uh, before the game, he said, I'm in bits, Rob, <laughs> is George Sefton, the voice of Anfield, out box to box's very own George Sefton, coming up next after the break. Box to box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now, since I visited the Cathedral of Sport that is Anfield for the Champions League quarterfinal between the mighty Liverpool and Manchester City last year, um, we have had the good fortune to stay in touch with the voice of Anfield. Uh, the very legend himself, George Sefton, and uh, he is one very happy Liverpudlian right now. George, welcome back to the show. I, I certainly am. You said you uh, were messaging you, uh, and you said before the game, "I'm in bits." <laughs> you know, it's like I was. Yeah. I mean, it was it was such a watershed moment. Mm. I, I say everything went well. It didn't go to plan, and mm. we, you know, five nil in the first ten minutes would have been. Nice, but um, and, uh, and afterwards, when the dust settles, mm. you think if we hadn't won that, this would have been such an empty feeling yes. this week. Yeah. But now we've you know, we've got the the European Cup back where it belongs in our trophy cupboard, mm-hmm. and uh, I've, I've never seen so many happy smiling faces as I have the last few days. And Liverpool knows how to celebrate. Uh, even the, 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 the arrival of the players was delayed by a couple of hours uh, for yeah. the bus stop uh, um, parade. And, and people were more than happy. Some adjourned to bars. Others just uh, uh, sat down and relaxed and waited. And it was all a very festive and happy atmosphere. It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. My daughter and her family, she's got four young children. Uh, she and her husband and the kids went 
to the pier head and they waited for hours um, but they they wouldn't have missed it for the world my wife and I went were very canny we went down to South Liverpool I uh, as an aside I used to work in the bank in Penny Lane in the song many years <laughs> ago uh, I mean when the song was a was a hit, and so we're talking 50 odd years ago. Uh, so I know that little area of Liverpool. I went and found a nice parking space and got right close to everything that was going on and watched what was uh, what was happening. Um, and that was that was amazing. The atmosphere even there was was great. But obviously we didn't have to hang around for hours. We saw you know the the celebrations and and uh, the atmosphere. It was just one monumental giant party. Um, and the, I must tell you as well the killer punch was uh, my son lives in Witness which is about 10 miles out of Liverpool and we phoned him and said are you going to the parade he said well no actually I'm going to the party tonight and he <laughs> managed to wangle himself and invite to the, the staff party at Anfield bit of a name dropper maybe um, he dropped your name he doesn't work at Anfield it's pretty good going but I'm very proud of him but um, he had he had the time of his little life, as you can imagine. Like, uh, by the evening of, of the of parade day, it was, it was amazing. Now, George, you've got six, uh, six in the cabinet. Um, yeah. Where, where do you rank this one? I mean, obviously, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of history there. As I've said yeah. to you before, I'm a Derby fan, but I just grew up watching Liverpool win European Cups as I grew up. Well, so. well yeah, that's, that's the thing. We, you know, it, I'm lucky enough to have seen the start of everything happening. I mean, the first one in 77 yeah. was amazing because before that, you know, I'm old enough to remember sitting there watching all these fantastic European teams, you know, the the original Real Madrid side who conquered Europe and then the day when Celtic became the first British club to do it and United the first English club to do it. Um, and then... One day in '77, we joined the club, and now we're we're big members. Obviously, six in the cupboard is fantastic. Uh, the next aim I would have thought would be to uh, get past AC Milan, who were a couple ahead of us. So uh, that would be that would be something. Because they, you know, when I was a child, you were brought up certainly by British media. Had this thing. If you were foreign and had an exotic name and played football, you were fantastic. You know, and then, you know, the Shankly and Paisley changed all that. You know, they, they, the, the perception of, of all these great players um, was, 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 diff- was changed. I, I'd say to everybody, I, I've, over the years I've seen all the great players play, I think with the exception of Maradona, you know, we've had Cruyff at Anfield. I saw Pelle and Eusebio play in the World Cup in Liverpool in 1966. And all the way down the line, and I wouldn't rate any of them higher than Kenny Dalglish. Um, you know, not just coming to Anfield, but as a great player. And, and obviously, ever since then, we've had the likes of Steven Gerrard and, and Jamie Carragher. And, and you, they get in any team in the entire whole world, but to, you know, to, to do what we've done now and come back from the disappointment of missing out in 2007 and last year, of course, which was horrendous, and now we're we're back with you know, everything in the, the garden is rosy again. I think. 
This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We are talking to the voice of Anfield, George Sefton, uh, basking in the afterglow of the wonderful glory <laughs> of Liverpool's defeat of Tottenham Hotspur in Madrid on Sunday. Oh, it's Derek here. Um, I was just wondering um, what you thought about Liverpool's composure during the game. A lot of their European Cup finals recently, Liverpool have almost been the underdogs. Um, you know, I'm thinking yeah. particularly of the Milan final, obviously, in the great comeback. And also last, last year's final as well against Real Madrid. It was almost like Liverpool were occupying that. Real Madrid position of they've been there and were a little bit more street yeah. streetwise than Tottenham. Is that what you thought? Uh, yes, it, 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 that was the conception before the, the game. But I think you know, when you sit down in the cold light of day, the Tottenham team that we played against are no no slouches. They're, they've got um, they're on they're on the verge of having the terrific team as well. Um, they're not in our league just yet. I mean, the, the difference. Uh, Obviously, the difference at the moment is Jurgen Klopp. He's he's a force of nature. In the eyes of the bookies and the press, you know, Liverpool. All Liverpool had to do was turn up, but in the end, they made the game of it. And, and people have been saying all week it wasn't a great game of football. Um, for the neutral, it probably wasn't. But the the bottom line is that you know we've uh, we've got through it. We did a job on Tottenham. We came home with the cup. Uh, we weren't there to advertise English football. We were there to win the cup. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I tell people that the trophy was won in the semi-final. You know, the Barcelona, the best team on the planet, came to our place and we gave them a good hiding. <laughs> we really you know, trundled them out of that competition. That was that was just an amazing night, and, and we deserve to win it after that. Whatever happened in the final. And obviously, someone that scored in that semi-final, Divock Origi, and again yeah. in the final. Can I just ask you about him? Because I think even the most passionate Divock Origi fan <laughs> at the start of the season couldn't have anticipated the impact that he's had on the at the end of Liverpool's season. I mean, how do you think he's going to go now going forward in the team? And also, what does it say about you know being able to rely on not just your star players like like Mane yeah. and Salah, and actually be able to call on these so-called fringe players having a big impact. Exactly. I mean, he's he's part of the furniture now. He's he's established himself in Liverpool folklore. You know, just the last month, what he's done in the last month. But don't forget, I remember when we signed him uh, after on his based on his performances in the World Cup. I remember saying before Liverpool went in for him, he's some striker, that guy. I was really impressed with him, and he. We loaned him back to uh, his previous club for 12 months, and he came to Anfield, and he he just couldn't seem to get going. And he showed the, you know some sparks, but now he must think he's died and gone to heaven. He's <laughs> he's, he's uh, really uh, one of the the boys now. He's established himself as a, a Liverpool player, and however long he stays with us, he'll look back in the record books in years to come, and he'll see the end of this season in the Champions League, you know, Origi scored twice against Barcelona and once in, you know, scored the clincher in the in the final. Who he's, uh, I'm I'm so pleased for the lad, and he's he's going around at the moment saying he's not going anywhere. He just wants to. He's so happy. He just wants to stay. And it's it's the offshoot of winning this this trophy that everybody is happy. Nobody wants to be. It's 
talking about going to play for you know one of the bracket uh, big clubs because they've all realised that Liverpool are up there with the greatest. We are really in the at the top table of world football now, and nobody can argue. Now, George, um, going more to domestic matters, uh, Liverpool, yeah. a long time between drinks, winning the, the league, and obviously went very, very close this year. Unbelievable 97 yeah. points. Still didn't get it. What do you think? I mean, I think it's still going to be a two-horse race next year. It's going to be City and Liverpool again. What, what, what do you think the manager's going to bring in to try and, you know, just get over the line and uh, out, uh, outsmart Man City? I... Not at all sure. There's, there are great uh, gaps. I have this pet hate about benches that are a bit thin on the ground. I've, once or twice, teams have turned up to Anfield and in the last couple of years, certainly, and they look at the, the subs bench, and it's all internationals. And that's something, and you're thinking, these guys can't get in the team, what are we up against? Um, I don't think we'll ever... Uh, outsmart Pep Guardiola low. I'd, I'd like to think we, we we did last season obviously but this season he's he's had the Indian sign over us and well it, it's we've just got to grit our teeth and get out there and start and get going again we've had a couple of really monumental bits of bad luck this year I mean when we drew against Leicester earlier uh, this year that um Harry Maguire scored the equaliser and he should not have been on the pitch. He should have been sent off a few minutes earlier. Ditto when Leicester went to uh, the Etihad and uh, Vincent Company scored a goal. Vincent Company, in a lot of people's eyes, should have been uh, sent off you know, a few minutes earlier for a second bookable offence and it didn't happen. And then you look at the pictures of the you know, the, the most solid goal that never was at the Etihad, which, which was millimetres short of being being the equaliser, where that would have done it for us. So it, it, it's just aggravating. We've done all this work, we've scored all those points and got nothing for it. I, I'm a subscriber to the Bill Shankly philosophy of first is first and second is nowhere. And I think I'm probably <laughs> one of the very few people on Merseyside who's saying that at the end of the league season. But I said, now we've we've got a piece of silverware, and I feel an awful lot better. And I'm, I'm sure for everything that City have been saying about this uh, domestic treble, I think they'd, they'd kill to be sitting there with uh, that trophy in their cabin as not ours. Absolutely, we think they... Absolutely would, George. Uh, Pep Guardiola would uh, not have been enjoying watching uh, Liverpool oh, no. uh, take the glory. Uh, so... Uh, Let's just wait with uh, bad breath for, for next season. And, and if, if you're yeah. wondering when you're listening out there uh, about just how uh, high an esteem George is held at, uh, at Liverpool, George mentions his favourite player, Kenny Dalgleish. Kenny Dalgleish said of George, George is part of the history and tradition of this club and it would be more relevant if he left than if I left. There you go. <laughs> Good, sir. Okay, I remember that. That was my 65th birthday. <laughs> I remember reading that, and I said to my wife, take me outside and shoot. <laughs> Life does not get any better than that. That's as 
good as it gets, absolutely. Oh, well, you're an absolute gentleman, George. You've made uh, a special experience. If I've mentioned it once on this show, I've mentioned it a thousand times, as the boys keep reminding me. It was one of the great days of my life, and uh, and you made it very special, and uh, it was it was wonderful, and you, you keep on... Uh, uh, being so generous with your time on our podcast, and um, and we're really grateful for it, mate. My pleasure, my pleasure. All right, until uh, until next season, George, which isn't too far away. And uh, no, it's, I was just looking. Uh, I'm writing fixtures in my diary now, exactly. it's, uh, it's, and the that's before the league season is. Uh, is announced. There's all sorts mm. of friendlies and and there's of course the uh, the, the, the lionesses taking on the Matildas in the, the women's World Cup final. Let's not forget that. Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Imagine <laughs> an Ashes World Cup final. Wouldn't that be good? Okay, mate, George. Well, we'll talk to you again uh, real soon. Cheers. Thank you. The Thanks, voice George. of Anfield, George Sefton. All right, uh, Derek, uh, stick around because we're going to do your scorecard your report card, even, of the Premier League season. I'm fascinated to see what you've come up with. Stick around, because that is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box, and uh, even though the Premier League season's been over for a couple of weeks now, and it's only going to be a couple of weeks, well, a month or so, before it starts again, um, I've been chatting to our friend Derek Dyson about uh, about his um, opinions on the tournament, and he said, look, why don't I do a uh, scorecard? Uh, so so Principal Dyson um, has uh, has got his old school scorecard out, and he's, he's worked out some yardsticks. So briefly, tell us how, how you, you worked out your, your measurement tool. Oh, look, it, I, I don't think there's a lot of science in it. Um, it was more don't like... Don't say that. You've got to well, make it sound okay. like there is, mate. Talk it up. Yeah, Mr. okay. Well, look... Um, there was, was a lot of science up, in it. Yeah, a lot of science um, in it. And <laughs> looking at results last season and, you know, seeing if a team improved or didn't improve, mm-hmm. thinking about whether um, it was a good season in context for that team. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a case of saying everyone at the top, you know, got great scores and, mm-hmm. you know, everyone at the bottom got bad scores. There's a bit of a mixture. Some okay. teams underperformed, some teams overperformed. All right. Well, that's fair enough for your scientific mm-hmm. analysis. Kick us off. Are you going to start at the top or the bottom? I think maybe we're going to go bottom, bottom up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so look, bottom was Huddersfield, and look, I, I'm prepared to be challenged at any time. But you um, won't be challenged there. Unfortunately, there I've given them an F. Yeah, mm. um, 16 points, 22 goals, three wins. Um, plucky, but um, you know, just a ter- you know, just not a very good season, and, and they'll probably be relieved to be back in the championship. Um, given Fulham an E. Um, just saved by the slight upturn Derek, that they had. You don't the get, you can't get season. anything more than an F if you get relegated. Well, uh, there was a bit of an upturn at the end of the season, and I wanted to differentiate between. Could have been the change the of the manager. It was a bad, it was a bad season for Fulham. You know, we'll make no mistake about that. Um, and actually, Cardiff, I've given not a bad score actually a C because C of the plus. way they ended. Oh, jeez, that's generous. You know, well, you see, that's why this is contentious. What did they see. get again? C plus. C plus. C plus well, yeah. look, I, I thought they were. Absolute bang certs going down. I wish you were one of my teachers at school. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I think it's a season that could have been for them, and I think there were only a few, you know, wins away from doing it. Brighton, a D. Um, Poor season. Got a new manager, but at least... Hang on, hang on. How does Cardiff get a C-plus and Brighton get a D? Cardiff are going down. Brighton were already a Premier League team, and they were established, and a good manager, and I think better playing staff. Yeah, and what he had to work with, um, Warnock, it's a C-plus, I agree with it. I think that's fair. Um, Southampton, a a season that was down, then up, then down again. I've given them a C. 
Uh, Burnley have given them a C. They're used to being in the top half, but they did have a good recovery at the mm-hmm. back end of the back season. End, yeah, they did. Uh, Bournemouth, really hard one, because what is Bournemouth's level? I mean, they mm-hmm. want to be in the top ten, but, you know, the they Bournemouth seem to resources. Yeah, so exactly. I gave them C+, plus an OK season, nothing to, to celebrate too much. Newcastle United, probably my first best scorer, B+, plus, an unbelievable season from Super Rafa, Rafa Benitez. From where they started. From where they started. Give them another contract. The new signing in January, Al- Almiron, just made a, gave him a bit of extra class, and you know, with a new site, a new owner possibly on the horizon, things mm. could be looking up there. Crystal Palace, a solid season. They gave them a B. Um, you know, their big challenge will be keeping players. Saha, Townsend, a lot of clubs sniffing yeah, around them. Good. Watford, B, brilliant season. They'd probably wish they were a little bit higher in the league. but mm, FA they, Cup final. FA Cup final. Despite the flogging, um, at least they got there. Chelsea yeah. are looking at Javi Garcia. You know, he's, he's another... Watford are churning out these sought-after managers. Um, West Ham have given a B-, minus um, in 10th. Terrible start to the season. One journo in the UK called them a clown car of a team <laughs> at the start of the season, but... <laughs> Pellegrini actually showed his class towards the end of the season, pulled them up. Leicester, B, season of two halves from Puel to Rodgers, and that's why I've given them a B, and actually ninth, pretty good for Leicester. Everton in eighth, not much to say about them. A very Everton season, didn't really go anywhere. Wolves, seventh. What did they get, a B? A B, yeah. yeah, Wolves, a seventh, A minus, I've given uh, Wolves, fantastic season. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd almost Nearly think promoted. that that's a bit harsh on, uh, on one think? of my team's Wolves. Uh, um, I, I want to hear a little bit of high ho silver lining uh, for anyone who yeah. has. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that yeah. uh, great yeah. Jeff Beck song uh, yeah. uh, was um, the refrain of uh, of so many of their great um, their matches. I thought they, they might have even got an A out of this. Oh, look, I think the only reason I've given them. You know, I'm a harsh marker. They, they did struggle against some of the teams they really should have beaten. Could have even been a better season for them. Manchester United, sixth. I do not know. I didn't know what to give them. <laughs> I gave them a C in the end. Mm. I thought, Fair. you know, they went up and down, down and up and down again. They've got a lot of stuff to do this summer. There's nice. so much, so much. They've to got do. more to do than any other team, yeah. I think. Mm. They're um, in really no man's land. Yeah. I reckon they've just got to get start off by making a firm decision, get rid of Paul Pogba. He's a, a cancer of an influence in that side. Yeah, right, his attitude gosh, is... Yeah, well, it is, I yeah. think. Um, but uh, he's a front-running player. Um, turns up when he wants to. Um, he's to prance around the dressing room and uh, mm. uh, lord it over other players. Um, only good when he's playing with brilliant... Uh, players um, around him and um, you know you, you just can't keep a player like that in the hope that he's eventually going to turn it on for you yeah and look I think you know maybe they're regretting appointing the manager full-time on that big mm. contract as mm. well lots to do um, Arsenal you know my team I gave them a C plus back where we were last season and fifth albeit with more points but an mm. absolutely terrible end to the season in the Premier League. Mm. The Europa League final was was a very disappointing end to the season. Well, the funny thing with that, though, I thought they, they, they were better in the first half and also mm. hard to go with Wenger to replace mm. him after all those years. Maybe I was always going to be a bit harsher yeah. on the favourite. <laughs> Tottenham have given a B, 27 points behind the top, but it yeah. shows how far they've come when they're being disappointed by being in fourth and obviously just missed out on the Champions League. Chelsea, they nearly imploded this season, but they I did. gave them a B plus. Two cup finals, third Champions League football, but so many problems. Sarri's off, transfer ban. Abramovich doesn't seem to be interested Just in the club it. anymore. 
Liverpool and Manchester City I both gave A pluses too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Immaculate seasons for both. Liverpool so unlucky but saved, you know, got that win at the end. And and City ninety eight points, unbelievable team, and will be the favourites again. That's good. I like, oh. I like that. Well, the like um, that. the professor of yeah. um, the sport scorecard. Well done, Derek. Um, I like that. Uh, uh, well, we're going to keep around for the next hour because we're going to talk more Europe um, and uh, break down the Nations League. We're going to talk uh, with Tracy Holmes. Really looking forward to chatting to the ABC. Uh, journalist Tracy Holmes um, about the uh, the fallout of the press releases from the FFA. Stoppage time with Edge. That's all next on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Dean Hennessy. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage moving animal. Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box the Box Second Edition News, including Socceroos and Matilda Central. Shortly, Tracy Holmes from the ABC ABC Ticket Podcast uh, to talk about the ongoing fallout of the FFA Heather Reid press releases from last week that it reignited the Alan Stadgett story. We want to find out. Uh, of course, we want to focus on the Matilda starting uh, their World Cup campaign, but uh, but this story just has to be addressed. Uh, we're going to delve back into Europe and uh, the Nations League uh, and back over to Paris with Edge and stoppage time. But, Willem, I know we didn't get through a lot of your news in the first hour, so um, what do you get for us to kick off the second, mate? Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army support the Oliroos in Thailand as they look to qualify for the 2020 Olympics with the Green and Gold Army. The Matildas are, of course, just days away from their World Cup opener against Italy, and Caitlin Ford has declared their 3-0 loss to the Netherlands is firmly in the rearview mirror. We had Joey Peters on in the first hour for discussion, but Ford wouldn't be drawn on comparisons to Australia and Italy's men's World Cup clash in 06, stating she hadn't seen the match and that the modern-day Matildas are on a different path. Now, of course, that is the case, but chance it would be nice to see Australia knock over the Italians at a World Cup. It would be, but uh, hadn't seen that match. Who in Australian football, no matter yeah. how old you are, hasn't seen that match? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, you often see or hear coaches, uh, you know, walk off the, the field and, and, a, and a really controversial incident happens and they go, oh, yeah, I wasn't watching. I haven't seen it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I sort of get a bit um, cold on those sorts of things. It, uh, it doesn't... Um, we are uh, talking about the dive, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. Um, <laughs> have you seen that match? Fabio Grosso. <laughs> I think I have quite a few yeah. times. <laughs> Killer. Meanwhile, the Socceroos are in Busan preparing for their clash against Korea Republic later this evening. Aziz Bayic will captain Australia for the first time in Mark Milligan's absence, while Mitch Langerak is headed home from the camp, meaning one of Lawrence Thomas or Andrew Redmayne are in line for a national team debut. Just days after winning promotion to the Premier League, Mila Yedinak is a free agent, having been released from Aston Villa. MacArthur FC, uh, the, uh, the 12th A-League side, have admitted his release is a blow to their hope of signing him for their debut season in 16 months' time. So in, in what ways does that mean that, uh, that because um, he will need to get, a, to get a new contract in Europe, he'll need to sign something that's longer than 12 months I've, and that's going to overlap with um, their entry in the comp? Yeah, I think it'll have to be shorter than 12 months. I think they'd hope that he'd stay at Villa for another season, see yeah. how the final year there and then be ready to go. But now he's got to sort of fill a hole for 12 to mm. 18 months. And finally, the FFA has promised Canberra three international matches over the next 18 months, with the Socceroos and Matildas both set to play in the capital 
after the ACT secured the funding. We're well versed in how the Matildas have fared to reach this World Cup, but perhaps we're not as aware of the story behind Jamaica. The reggae girls have been largely unloved in Jamaica in recent times. The Jamaican Football Association has refused to fund them. Their women's program was shut down entirely between 2010 and 2014. That was until Bob Marley's daughter, Sadella or Sadia, has stepped in. So she's bankrolled them through the Family Foundation in recent times, raised awareness, and the team's been a real passion project of her and a few other individuals. So it's fantastic to see reward. They'll be at their first World Cup. And the youngest squad in the tournament was some um, some really feisty players. So they, they, they will not be uh, easy. I think the advantage we have is that, that, um, that we'll be playing them at the back end of the group and... Um, and hopefully um, some of their youthful enthusiasm might have waned a little A really sad one. An investigation into the death of former Arsenal winger Jose Antonio Reyes has discovered he was travelling at more than 220 kilometres an hour before his car crash at the weekend. 35-year-old Reyes and his cousin passed away on a road connecting their hometown, Utrera, with uh, Seville. Reyes was a member of Arsenal's Invincible squad of 2004. He remarkably won five Europa Leagues. Uh, more than 11,000 people turned out to his funeral. And uh, Derek, um, you're a passionate Arsenal man. Um, that um, Invincibles team uh, uh, is um, yeah, it, uh, it sits large in the firmament of, of British sport, let alone the Premier League. That must have really hit you hard when you heard that news. Yeah, you don't expect we didn't expect to be losing our Invincibles, you know, mm, so mm. so early. Um, Reyes came along at a time, it was a, such an exciting uh, signing for Arsenal and it came right out of left field. I can remember no one, he was on no one's radar. I remember they ran it on Sky Sports News and they were scrabbling around trying to find out something about this player. Um, and as you, as you said, he scored two goals in his debut against mm-hmm. Chelsea. I mm-hmm. was there at the game at Highbury and the first one was an immaculate finish. Anyone go onto YouTube and Google Reyes Chelsea, it was a stunning mm-hmm. goal. Um, yes, he was a big part of that um that invincibles team um and it was a short but sweet career at arsenal he didn't stay around for long he got homesick he ended up at real madrid and then you know entered back in spain and won several titles under um under unai emery who was also very cut up so yes very sad news christian Eriksen looks set to depart tottenham following their champions league loss uh, final loss to liverpool Ericsson arrived at Spurs in 2013 and has been pivotal to Maurizio Pochettino's side, but at 27 stated he's at the stage of his career where he'd like to try something new. He has a, a year left on his deal at Tottenham. Can we see him leaving White Hart Lane? It's a shame. Uh, he, um, <laughs> he's a, a talismanic player for that squad. He's not, not the, the biggest name, but he's a bloke that steps up, and when you know he's going to take a dead ball, uh, you inevitably expect that uh, the opposition stopper's going to have to do some work to, to keep it out. Yeah, I, th- I think this is maybe emblematic of a, an issue Tottenham are going to have now going mm. forward in terms of keeping hold of their players. There might be a suspicion that this is about as far as this team, even under Pochettino, and the, the allure of the new stadium can go. We saw the same happen to Arsenal when mm. they lost the likes of Van Persie and, and Fabregas and influential players. So I think so it's a big blow for Tottenham and the Premier League, and he's going to be hard to replace. Yeah, look, I think... I think most probably be good for him because he was one. He was part of the package when the, the Gareth Bell deal was done. He was one of the mm-hmm. magnificent seven that mm-hmm. w- went in, and that was what the swap was basically in numbers. But I think I think he, he deserves another chance somewhere else. And I think I think there's a few players in the Tottenham team that might feel the same way. Lionel Messi has claimed Argentina are going through a transitional phase and are unlikely to challenge for the Copa America next year. This is of interest to us all of a sudden, guys. <laughs> Albert Celeste have played in four of the past five Copa finals, losing to Chile on penalties in 2015 and 16. Messi's not holding his breath of a repeat. 
He stated, we go with the same excitement as always, but the reality is we are not contenders like other times. Diego... I think he's worried about the Socceroos, mate. <laughs> uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has done it again. His hat-trick for Portugal, ensuring they've made the inaugural Nations League final. Ronaldo fired three past Switzerland in a 3-1 win. They will now meet the winner of England and the Netherlands. Dino, what did you make of this one? Well, what's unique about this? Well, hold your fire a little bit, one, on that, Dino, because yeah. we're going to dig into that in Europe. Uh, in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's yeah, an, so. an unbelievable stat yeah. of how many hat-tricks... Well, hold that stat. How many hat-tricks he's had. Okay. All right, gentlemen, well... Before we wrap up this little segment, I want to talk to you about Storage King. Because right now, during the month of June, you will get one month's storage for free. That is right, for free. Nothing. So whether you're moving house, downsizing, renovating, relocating, the office is too small, or you're running an online business and you just don't need a shop front, Storage King has the answer. They've got a crack team of storage professionals on hand to make life easy. And with stores everywhere, there's one just around the corner. Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. Move in during June and get one month's storage for free. Visit storageking.com.au to find out where your nearest store is, Dana. Derek, Willem, Nigel, dear listeners, do it. Do yourself a favour, as Molly Meldrum would say. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, gentlemen, Tracy Holmes. Really looking forward to this chat with Tracy Holmes next because um, she uh, knows um, the depth of uh, the story around Alan Stagic, the press releases, and um, she's far from the the tabloid responses that you get as the sort of the go-to feel uh, in uh, in the press. So... um, yeah, stick around because Tracy is next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now, when our next guest talks sport, you know it's uh, going to be well-researched comment. And the story around the Alan Stagic departure over the course of the early months of this year was no different. Uh, uh, the press releases put out last week, however, threw some fuel back on to uh, what was a simmering fire. And uh, Tracy Holmes, uh, um, some of us um, still feel that the mystery continues. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. So, Tracy, what's your take on all this? I mean, my, my interpretation is that the, the press releases have been put out, uh, like most, uh, to uh, to stop the story from building legs yet again but it seems to me that it's done exactly the opposite yeah and that was probably always going to be the case wasn't it and i think it's the same with pretty much any soccer story Mm. because soccer supporters football supporters are the most passionate um not just in the nation but globally uh and there also seems to be you know uh, there's somewhat of a, a sense here in australia especially that it doesn't matter what the FSA or the governing body does. Uh, there's just going to be major critics of it. So, um, you know, they're already starting from a difficult place. The way I read the three statements that were put out, there was one from the FSA, one from the board member, uh, Heather Reid, and one from the Coaches Association. Mm-hmm. And uh, effectively, the two from the FSA uh, were, were there as settlement statements. So the legal settlement has been done and part of that legal settlement is that they would each issue these statements saying X, Y, Z and and that is what has happened. Uh, So the minute they said anything, of course, it was going to, you know, fan the flames 
Exactly, and then you've got the uh, Football Coaches Association statement, which uh, which went in really hard and uh, and and made very clear that uh, you know that quote uh, Australian coaches deserve much better. It's time to put our foot down and say that enough is enough. Uh, the FCA president Phil Moss, uh, he's been uh, on on our show and yours on many um, saying that Alan Sajic today stands vindicated that he did not in fact do anything wrong and there was no smoking gun. Now we then reflect back on your podcast on the ticket, which uh, took the whole story in an entirely different angle on the ABC where you had anonymous sources um, making very clear that, um, that there, there was uh, substance to, to some of these allegations but the information in the press releases from the FFA and Heather Reid say the opposite. What do we make of all this? Yeah, I think if you look at it very carefully and, and you think about the fact that it um, is a, a legal settlement statement... Mm. They actually don't conflict, you know. So, so initial impressions are like what that they've just backtracked completely, but in fact they haven't because you need to always look very carefully at the words. Mm. And I think that much of this story was reported from the very beginning um, in in ways that you know had very um, inflammatory, very passionate language used in that. And it's so difficult because that's how everybody feels depending on which side of the argument you're on. But to try and strip that passion away, to try and look at the cold, hard facts, and I know that right from the beginning, David Gallup said at the press conference that this definitely was not a Me Too moment. So that was ruled out right from the start. And yet a lot of the the, um, commentary around it was kind of leading down that path, um, which had already been ruled out at the the press conference the the morning, like two hours after Stadich was sacked. Uh, What Gallup did say was that it related to a workplace culture, uh, a workplace environment, the general setup of the Matildas, and effectively that the FFA had lost um, confidence that Alan was the man to take them forward heading into the World Cup. And so, um, you know, there was also a a leaked paper I saw that was um, sent out by the FFA board uh, to the states, um, the stakeholders, who were asking for more explanation on exactly what had happened, and they were trying to understand why this drastic step had been taken. And um, in that correspondence, um, Stajic had reportedly said that um, he he described the team environment as dysfunctional Mm. and cancerous. They were his words. So, you know, there's a lot of passion in this and and as I say, it's always very difficult to strip that back and look at the cold, hard facts and, and just see it for what it is. But yes, it developed a life of its own and it started heading off in all sorts of um, different directions with all sorts of rumours. And uh, I guess those rumours are the ones that can be put to bed. It sure did, and hopefully they will be. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to the ABC's Tracy Holmes. Now, Dino, I know you, as a former coach and uh, someone whose uh, whole life is steeped in uh, the history, the politics of football on and off the pitch, you've seen it all before, but... uh, Really, something like this. Yeah, look, Tracy. I, I mean, I think what you've just said there is a, <clears throat> a really good summary of what we think we all went through at the beginning. And I think, if, if, I, if I'm reminded, is that um, Chris Nick had just just really got to the post, and it was like all of a sudden there was this big drama going on. And I wonder if, in your opinion, if, if, if they if the FFA had the time again, do you think they would have approached this different? I think perhaps uh, they would have thought um, very much more carefully before going into the press conference. 
but I actually don't see there being uh, a, a different result in the end. And I think that comes back to uh, what was determined out of the, the PFA survey, which was designed uh, with Alan Stagic. He was um, crucial in designing the questions, um, you know, what they were going to be asking of the players, how they wanted them to respond. So he was part of that process all the way through. He said in his press conference, though, that uh, he lost confidence in that survey and, and the way it was done when he saw uh, the results, when they were first distributed um, sometime in December. And um, clearly that was because, you know, 25% of the players surveyed um, in this wellbeing audit said that they felt psychological um, stress. Uh, a majority of the team um, said that the environment had not made them better people or players. Fewer than 20% said they believed uh, that the, the environment made them better people. And, and so these are, are real and genuine concerns. And I know people say, well, it's not a big group to start with, and so you're only talking about three or four or five. But surely, if you've got a tight-knit group and you're heading to a World Cup, even one person having uh, a, a major concern um, is an issue. That needs to be dealt with. Without doubt. I mean, I've been in, in many, many dressing rooms over the journey as a player, coach, and even as a TD. And um, it's vital, even if one player's having some distress or there's concerns, you've got to get to, to that very, very quickly. In your opinion, though, based on now with what's come out last week when, you know, the Heather Reid thing, I suppose, not reignited it, but it came out with, you know, the certain comments within within the media... Do you think that will have an effect on this team or do you think they're, they're pretty focused on what they're going to do at the World Cup and, and, or do you think there's, there's a little bit in the balance there? No, I, I think they're pretty focused. Um, you know, the, the great thing, I suppose, if you can take a positive from this, is that they were so far away in a different hemisphere and uh, we know what it's like in, in the bubble, when you're in the bubble, and that bubble is the Australian media. So, I mean, no doubt they, they heard the news um, but they wouldn't have been swamped uh, with, you know, everything that was the discussion that was happening here. And uh, what I've heard, reports I've heard from people who were also in the camp in Turkey, is that they are so focused um, and have gelled so well as a group and that Ante Milicic has managed to, to get them to come together very quickly. Um, and they've got other concerns they need to think about now. You know, they've got to think about their defensive play. Uh, when they get to the World Cup. So, so I think their mind is very much on the issues at hand and, and those issues are performing to their ultimate come the World Cup. It seems it's going to go one or two ways. Um, we're either going to see a steely approach that results in, in performances on the park or... Um, what we saw in the, the final friendly, um, which sort of scares me a little bit, but um, hopefully um, will be the, the last blowout before um, before we see the glory, Tracy. Now, um, in terms of the individuals um, that um, have uh, have got to take some ultimate responsibility for, for all of this, um, there are three people in particular, Heather Reid, David Gallup and Emma Highwood. Uh, uh, do they all survive um, the, the short to medium term? Well, you know, when, when people sort of um, isolate names in an organisation, uh, I, I think that's, it's a little bit like putting um, the, the cart before the horse because uh, Heather Reid said what she said. She, she um, gave what seemed to be a fairly heartfelt apology. She knew that what she said was wrong, um, being quoted in that Andrew Webster story in the Sydney Morning Herald a few days after the Stagic sacking. 
Um, but let's not forget that this decision was not made by Heather Reid or David Gallup. It was made by the FFA board and it was a unanimous decision. So if there are questions, and, and definitely there are questions that need to be asked and answered sufficiently, then those questions need to be asked of the entire board, not just Heather Reid. So my only concern with this is that, you know, people are now going to isolate one person when in fact it was a unanimous board decision. So there are questions that need to go to all of those board members from the chairman down. Um, and then, of course, you know, the one thing that nobody has spoken about is that second survey that no. has been done and the results have been given. And that was by the, um, the women's group, Our Watch, which was brought in by invitation of the FFA to come and have a look at their culture to see if they were doing anything um, incorrectly from a, an entire movement, you know, not, not just head office. Um, but, but all of the states and the various stakeholders and a game-wide review of the culture. We've heard nothing on that. So, you know, it's, it's probably um, not a very positive report. <laughs> mm. Otherwise, we might have heard about it already. But the other thing is, I'm, I'm sure that people probably are trying to be quite conscious of the fact that you've got this team heading for the biggest moment of their lives and uh, they don't want to drown it out completely um, by releasing a whole lot of other stuff that can probably hold off until after the World Cup. Exactly, Tracy. And we all know from the history of sport and sport politics that if the Matildas do well, a lot of this will die down. If they don't do well, it's just going to blow back up again. But let's push pause for a little while and how about we all just uh, enjoy the tournament yeah you're going to be working for uh, the SBS coverage we we're talking to Joey Peters earlier on in the show um, as just a general sports fan um, Tracy uh, um, and and an enthusiast for uh, for all sport but women's sport in particular um, it uh, it surely must be a, a proud moment to see an Australian team and a women's team at that uh, at the forefront and, and a real favorite to, to do something special over there in France yeah, absolutely. I know their last few games haven't gone their way and it's exposed some of the holes um, in the team. But if you look at the group that we're in, uh, if all goes well against Italy, then we should top that group, you know, which then puts us in a position. And, you know, Rob, you know this, and Dean particularly knows this, <laughs> that you get the one percenters, you know, if the one percenters go your way, yeah. um, whether that's calls or, or atmosphere or, you know, those things, um, then... Australia most definitely can pull out a best-ever World Cup performance. Yeah. And I know that a lot of the other countries uh, have been watching closely to see what's gone on with this team, especially since all of this drama unfolded. Um, but it's almost like they're an unknown quantity. And people know that this is a, a, it's a golden age of the Matildas. You've got a situation now where a lot of men in the country are supporting women's sport in a way they haven't previously. And all of that sort of stuff, you hope, augurs really well for the team and uh, they come back with a result that everyone's going to be proud of. Oh, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Tracy. Uh, put some pressure on. We did it with Joey before. So, yes, we uh, did it with Joey. Yeah, Firstly, are we going to win the first game and how deep into this competition are we going to go? I think we are going to win this game. I think we're going to top the pool. I think if all goes well, um, you know, with a bit of luck in the quarters, we'll get to the semi, and then there's no stopping us. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, so if you um, want to know, I'm I, I superbly. I've penciled in. I've penciled in. 
Australia and the USA in the final. Excellent. So that's my tip. <laughs> hey, hey, Tracy, we hope you're right. And Tracy, look, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, um, ever since the the days of the, I think it was the late 90s when I, I first uh, uh, enjoyed your work on grandstand in the lead up to the Sydney Olympics, and uh, and your voice was the synonymous voice of the ABC of the Sydney Olympics, as far as I was concerned. Uh, uh, I've always enjoyed uh, following your, your career and your work, and um, and it's uh, that's a real um, treat to have you on the show tonight. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thanks for having me, and well done on a great podcast. Thank you, Thank and you, uh, make sure you l- listen to another uh, great podcast if you're listening out there, The Ticket, Tracy Holmes's podcast. Get onto iTunes and have a listen to that because uh, you get some fantastic content from Tracy. Thank you, Tracy Holmes. So next up, we're going to go back to Europe. We're going to talk about the European Nations Cup. Derek Dyson's going to come back into the studio, and we're going to try and dissect what we think is going to happen uh, up to and including... Uh, this Sunday's final. Mm, looking yeah. forward to it. All right, after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now, the Nations League is a confusing tournament, largely designed to eliminate European friendlies, and Derek is going to explain a little bit more about it. But before he does... Our friends at Chemist Warehouse, who thank you to our good mate Rutene Farakawa and Mario Tascani, who got this very program off the ground of, uh, of um, signed off on another 12 month uh, of support, which we're really, really grateful for. So if you're a fan of Box to Box, you got us for another 12 months. So it's all thanks to the great support of uh, Chemist Warehouse, who got us off the ground originally, and of course our other mates at Storage King, who uh, yeah, just rock solid all the way. But if you want more in your life, 49% more to be precise, you can find an additional 49% more curcumin in BioGlan Hyzorb Turmeric Powder from Chemist Warehouse. Traditionally used in Ayurvedic medicine, turmeric contained within BioGlan Hyzorb Turmeric Powder contains allows for 49% more curcumin absorption compared to standard turmeric powders. Used in juices and smoothies, turmeric may provide increased health benefits, health Support your health with BioGlan Hyzorb turmeric powder from Chemist Warehouse. Really good for pain relief. So if you've got joint pain, stiffness, that sort of thing, try it out because it could help you. Uh, Chemist Warehouse always have the great savings every single day. Now, Derek, please explain. Exactly. European Nations League. Yeah, it's taken quite a long time to get get my head around it, and I think it has for 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 a lot of people the whole aim of it as you said was to give a bit of context to what would have been meaningless international friendlies what they did was they basically ranked all the european teams put them into groups based on their ability and then uh up until recently they all played against each other um home and away and the teams that finished in the top of their respective pool automatically qualified for a at least a playoff for the uh, European Championships which is obviously the, the you know the big tournament in Europe um, and and obviously that's a big incentive so they try to incentivize it that way teams that didn't play very well get relegated we're now at the stage of the season where the best teams have kind of emerged from the top mm. the top league and now they're playing semi-finals and, and ultimately a final as uh, Dino pointed out uh, off, off air there, you know, there's nothing riding on this game uh, or these games apart from some silverware. And look, we're not going to be seeing a Liverpool. And there's style. some criticism, criticism yeah. in the UK as well. Um, 
that it's only on Sky Sports as well. So mm. uh, so you've got to have um, pay TV in the UK to get it. Uh, I'm not sure about what the situation is around the rest of Europe, but uh, but that certainly does encourage um, you know your everyday fan to uh, to be able to engage at the highest level. Yeah, look, I think the reception of the um, the this this format has been generally a positive thing. Yeah, I don't no, think it's been like not. a roller coaster success and they're certainly not going to be doing a trophy parade down Wembley Way if England bring <laughs> home the uh, bring home the cup I think Willem said it's, it's like a it looks like a we're piece, not going to get a song made of, out of it no. you know I don't think so um, but it's given some context to matches it's made games more competitive it's allowed teams particularly the lower teams like Andorra or Gibraltar to suddenly have a run of matches against teams of about their level um, and look there are some issues to iron out um, I've spotted that Scotland pre they did very well in it they pre-qualified for at least a playoff place for the Euros but they've had a disaster of a, of a tournament so far for the qualifying and you yeah, just they think have. They've, they've taken the foot off the gas because mm. they've kind of got almost as good as they're ever going to get. So we're at the sharp end. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo steps up. Dina, you were going to comment earlier on uh, about um, his, uh, his record of hat-tricks. Uh, so, well, not um, only just that. It was, um, it, it's always this Messi and Ronaldo. And, mm. you know, you keep swinging from one to another and, like, Ronaldo, obviously, in this tournament, uh, has got, hit it absolutely unbelievably. A hat-trick. Uh, how many hat-tricks do you think he's scored for Portugal? Seven. Oh, so you've done your homework. So you know how many he's done in this history? I don't know in his history. 53. I, okay. Yeah, 53 hat-tricks. I, I was how listening to Sork Sport uh, during the coverage. Seven for Portugal. Seven for Portugal. And 53. And then we had... He's Alan. got a target. He wants to score 100 goals well, we, for Portugal. We had, he's on uh, not 88 right now, isn't he? We had Alan Brazil on the show, you remember when we were listening, mm. and he said he thinks he scored two hat-tricks in his career. <laughs> and uh, the boy Cascarino... Tony Cascarino, yeah. He said, I got six. Mm-hmm. So and then they're, they're just going, how the... How's he got 53? How many did you score, Dana? Oh, I'm never, oh, I was a kid, loads, not, not as a pro. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky to score a goal. Okay, so so um, we'll declare our hands. So we know that uh, Portugal is in the final, having beaten Switzerland, but as we uh, record the podcast, um, the, the England-Netherlands uh, game hasn't been played. So uh, uh, it's almost um, a preview because you've got uh, um, the, 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 the flying Dutchman um, Virgil van Dijk um, and uh, some of those, uh, Richard, yeah, exactly. So uh, some of those uh, Ajax players, um, uh, that, that should be a really good game. But Harry Kane, he's not fit should he play. He did nothing in that Champions League final uh, and probably shouldn't have been um, uh, in the starting lineup in that game in, as it was. Yeah, look, I think that's a query. I mean, <clears throat> it'll be better for the run. Um, but again, how, you know, eight weeks is eight weeks. It's hard and, and it did look sluggish. Um, but look, I think it's a really important game for both teams. I think the Dutch will be quite confident. Um, but I think England are. I think England are, are in, a, in a really good space at this moment. And uh, I think. I wonder uh, whether the behaviour of the English fans oh, could have any impact because, uh, you know, we, without um, wanting to put too fine a point, I don't know, Willem's mentioned it already, but uh, it is embarrassing. And particularly oh, on the terrible. 75th anniversary of the. Uh, of the D-Day okay. commemorations, um, you know, those heroes that, uh, that gave their lives for freedom and you get these fools um, representing uh, a, a great country in uh, in such a negative light. It, um, it's uh, pretty embarrassing. Yeah, like, you know, you always think that we get to a phase where this sort of thing might be starting to be phased out. The mm. fans in general at the Russian World Cup actually behaved really well and it seemed like England fans had 
turned a corner mm. along with other fans. But then, you know, you get something like this happening again. But you've got to wonder whether the uh, the Russian um, uh, security <laughs> program, yeah, that uh, where they were sort of uh, yeah, <laughs> ring-fencing people's homes and not letting them leave the country, taking their passports away from oh, them. Look, they, can't, they can't help themselves. And I think there is a fine line between, you know, um, what a lot of good-natured travelling fans Is do, it all to do with know, alcohol versus, or is yeah, it just a lot? It's a lot. There's a siege mentality. What they generally do is they go and take over whatever the central square is and whatever mm. city that they're in, and then they start drinking alcohol um, in vast quantities, and then it starts turning into antisocial behaviour. But there are other teams that do exactly the same, the Scots, mm. the Irish, even just from the... And they know, have fun. And they have fun and it doesn't disintegrate. But there's something about England. And for me, you know, it almost uh, it doesn't encourage me to get too behind them at times. Yeah, that's a shame. Well, um, what's the prediction? Are we um, are we expecting? I think England. No, I think England will win. Mm -hmm. I think England have been in really good form. And I I think semi-finalists in the World Cup. Yeah, uh, not just that, but even even. You know, just even in the qualification of this tournament as well, mm. going through there. Well, the Dutch are also, you know, coming back from the Nadir in their, their history, um, like Italy, not qualifying for that last World Cup. I mean, Willem, you, uh, they've got a little bit of Dutch blood running for your yeah. loans. Yeah, I'll back the Dutch in Rob. Very exciting new era. Be fantastic to crown the start of it with a bit of silverware. I'm confident they can get the job done. Okay. I'm just wondering whether, you know, some of those England players are going to have tired legs. A lot of people coming in from the the various European mm. finals. Um, the Dutch are, are at home, and a really exciting team, so mm. I think this will be really close, and I actually think the Dutch will nick it. Okay. All right, gentlemen. That is the Nations Cup. All right, we'll, uh, well, let's sit here, because we're going to talk to Michael next um, with N- Nigel's sound effects ready to go over there in Paris. It's all exciting. The World Cup next on Box to Box. <laughs> Box to Box. Can you for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the king of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is stoppage time on what has been a bumper edition of the program. The fourth official signals we've got some extra time because Michael Ledgley always needs extra time to get those forthright opinions of his out. He's out in Paris um, with his beret, um, smoking his jetan, eating his almond croissant, and Nigel's playing our... French theme again, Michael. How are you? Very well, Roberto. Very nice. Very nice to hear you. Um, uh, bonsoir to all of you in the in the studio. It's uh, getting close, isn't it? Oh, Friday night, uh, France. Okay, all right, nice. Friday night, France take on Korea. Then obviously uh, the game that everyone's looking forward to um, from an Australian perspective is the Matildas against Italy, and whether they can shrug what was a uh, disappointing result against the Netherlands. Whether they can shrug mm. that results and uh, and hit the ground running against Italy because we'll need to. Joey was a little bit nervous, Edge. Oh, understandably. I, I think everybody would have been shocked with that result. Um, I watched it closely. I've had a chat to a few people around the, around the team and the camp. And um, Although you, you never like to make excuses, I, I think uh, you know the first half we were pretty competitive. I thought at different times we dominated uh, the Netherlands, but then the wheels fell off. Uh, two goals from set pieces, which were... Um, we're very disappointing. I know the, uh, the the coaching staff were really disappointed with that. Um, but it, 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 yeah, more questions than answers came from that. Um, and they also uh, are saying that the girls had done a massive block of uh, training and that they hadn't tapered for that game. So um, 
they did look a little bit lethargic, but uh, the Netherlands were up and about, and uh, they got the job done, didn't they? Uh, Dino, um, obviously not always ideal, but I think sometimes a reality check is uh, is quite sometimes needed. You know, like and uh, if and if the performance there were some positives, but you know the result. You come out on the other end. You can learn a lot from that. So it might be, might just be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, um, a couple of worrying selections for me. Um, obviously, Laura Alloway is struggling with a foot injury, so we don't know whether she will come up. Right. Um, I have the impression, you know, gleaning from my discussions around the place, they'd probably like her to start because they rate her ability to win a defensive header. In a set piece scenario, Dean, you would appreciate that. Um, so uh, she's likely, I'd say, unlikely to play. Um, the other one, the big uh, worry for them is Elise Kellard-Knight, who has uh, a tightness in the hamstring. Uh, she's our regular number six. So when she wasn't playing, Dean, Emily Van Egbon dropped into the number six, and I would have thought that the absolute obvious replacement for Elise Kellard-Knight would have been Ivy Lewick. You know how much I like the way Ivy get, uh, Yeah, we plays. do, we do. Yeah, and Ivy didn't get the gig, so um, I thought Emily Van Egmond uh, didn't have a good game in the number six. I thought um, there was question marks over Clayton Caitlin Ford's service, and she was probably played her worst game for Matildas ever. So there's a few questions, isn't there? I mean, and we don't have answers to those things. I guess we'll know when the team uh, is named for Sunday's game um, about an hour before the match kickoff. We'll know what some of those decisions are, but... Yeah, some, some big questions for me about uh, that line-up into the Netherlands and whether it, it's going to reflect what happens in, uh, against Italy in any way. Hi, Edge, it's Willem. If you were Ante Milicic, who would you have lining up across the back four? That's eight goals conceded across the past two games. Uh, I would have Laura Alloway and Alana Kennedy as my central defensive pairing. I think um, Ali Carpenter, you know, there's a lot of reps on Ali. She gets forward pretty well. Um, she's in all the marking material, but I think she's... Um, naive defensively, I'd be looking at uh, who else could play right back and you've got to go with Steph Catley despite the fact she's missed a lot of football um, you would definitely, definitely want Steph Catley uh, in that left back position and you'd be trying to encourage her to get forward because her crossing is, is world class um, I mean, I think there's question marks over Ali she will play, I don't think there's any doubt that she will play but I, I personally have um, uh, question marks over her ability to defend, um, she can get forward very well. Um, what's interesting about uh, about that, you know, I would have a defensive approach against Italy because you don't want to lose your first game. No. Um, and considering that we've conceded chip eight goals in the last two games, you'd want to have a very significant focus. I, I, I would, I don't know what Dean's view of this is, but I would definitely be having a defensive focus at least for the first half. You'd want to settle and build some confidence in that back four. And, in, and you know, just as important as the back four is that number six that plays just in front of them. I would play Ivy Lewick if, if Callard Knight's not able to come up. Uh, I, I think playing Emily Van Ingborn in that role is not the right thing to do. So that's, that's my approach. Edge, it's uh, Derek here. How are you going? I'm really well, Derek. Great to hear you uh, on the radio again. Um, I hope you're enjoying your night in there with the boys. Have they treated you OK? They always. put thrown you under the bus? They like to throw me under the bus, but no. they're throwing you under the bus, Derek. Mate, he's the bus driver. <laughs> I, was, I was asked to defend uh, English, English hooligan fans the second that I arrived, but overall um, being treated well. Um, I want to think about, you know, who Australia are going to face later on in the tournament. There's clearly a, 
a lot of fantastic teams, you know, not just some of the big European names, but from, you know, the, across the world. Who do you, who are you looking at? Is it, is it some of the old guard like, uh, the US or Germany or maybe some of the European teams on the rise like, um, the Netherlands and, and Phil Neville's England? Yeah, I think England got beaten 1-0 by New Zealand in a warm-up game. I don't know how much you're reading to that. Um, uh, look, it'll be interesting. Look, I think the thing we have to recognise uh, for people that watch it really closely is that this World Cup, there's been an expansion of teams. So there's more European teams that have qualified than ever before. And, um, you know, when we talk about Italy, for example, who's in, in our group, um, we say, oh, Italy hasn't qualified for, for World Cup for 20 years. But they had to qualify through Europe and... There are some very strong European teams. We know that Germany, France, Sweden, England, um, you know, they're all going to be uh, pound for pound, arguably uh, teams that could go all the way. So um, don't think that Italy's not going to be a competitive uh, force against Australia. I think they will be. Um, they've got a good win in this league and they've got uh, seven or eight professional players. So I think, uh, you know, we, we have to think a little bit broader about the European teams. I think they're all capable of doing really well. Uh, the mail is that Brazil has uh, sorted themselves out and they could be uh, a competitive force. They are in our group as well. Um, let's not lose sight of, of that. And, um, and anybody who writes off the Japanese who doesn't think they're a possibility of going all the way is crazy. They're technically superb. They have a great um, mentality towards their game. They are, they are very, very, very proud team. And, of course, how can you not uh, throw the United States uh, in, in with uh, a, a chance to win it? So there's... There's a lot of competition. It is the World Cup. Everybody's here to uh, to do some serious business, so anything can happen, really. Uh, but I, I, my personal pick, France, is going to have a great tournament, and, and so is the US, no doubt about it. I'm sorry, Derek, England, for me, mm-hmm. out the back door, brother. Yes, well, they've got quite a tough um, opening fixture against uh, Scotland, and Scotland, another team that are you know, rising in the in the women's game, and obviously Scotland on the men's side of things not appearing much in finals tournaments at the moment. So a great opportunity for them. Do you think the Scots and stars like Aaron Cuthbert over at Chelsea have got a, got a chance of upsetting England too? I do actually, and I think uh, that's one of those fixtures in it where maybe form is not really uh, an indication of what the way the result may go. Because um, I'd imagine if I was a Scottish player, you know, they've not not only have they have the emotion and the thrill of qualifying for the World Cup, but you get to play your arch enemy in the first game. I mean, you couldn't be happy about that, could you? All the pressure's on England. I mean, all the pressure's on England. There it is again, Dino. Your mob facing pressure in the first game. If they don't get off to a good start, they're in trouble, and it might just be the jocks that get the job done. How well, good would that be? Well, it's very interesting. I'm just watching your Australian cricket team, and they're about 60 for something. So. <laughs> anyway, well, we'll, 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 Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. But don't forget, you're down in England now. There, you're not far over the ditch. Um, In regards to your question about the defensive, yeah, look, I agree with you there. I think, especially with the Italian teams, even if you look at the the men's program over years and years and years, once they get their noses in front, they very rarely give it up. So I think it's really important that Australia defend really well and and hopefully get an early lead and then um, they've got something to to hold on to. No, it's exciting. But just the vibe over here, boys, is is great. Um, Every second bus has... One of the big banks has um, got behind the French girls. Every second bus has got uh, promoting the French team and uh, the the stars in it. Um, So the vibe over here is very good. Every game is on live on on France too, the national broadcaster. They've got a a 6pm... Um, half an hour magazine show every night, which is uh, following the 
the arrival of all the teams in France. Uh, so, look, it's getting great coverage here. Um, uh, I'm really optimistic that we're in for a fabulous month of fantastic football and and uh, quite rightly, the, the women's game is, uh, is going to be in the spotlight. Absolutely, Edge. Well, look, uh, enjoy it, mate. Make sure you buy some little mementos. Um, I'm hoping for a an authentic uh, FIFA World Cup cap to add to my collection. Um, so... Um, <laughs> I'm sure I'll be able to find that one yeah. for you. Well. Thanks, mate. Uh, yeah, well, I don't want you to bring a baguette, bat. It'll be a little bit stale by the time he gets back there. You'll be eating plenty of them. Don't worry about that. That's the thing I'm most jealous about, the food in I'm France. trying to avoid them at the moment because they are so good. Um, you know, yeah. when you eat one, you want five. You so, do, uh, don't you? And those pastries in the morning, going down to the markets to eat the uh, croissant amand and the... Oh, mate, coffee. It's just the food just tastes different, doesn't it, when you're over there? It's something about it. Well, you enjoy it, mate. Um, yeah, enjoy it. Hopefully, uh, it's going to be super exciting. Uh, um, we need an epic win by the Matildas um, to get um, this guess, thing underway. Yes, to hear, Rob. I just need to let you know that last night we took uh, 30 guests down to the Moulin Rouge. So we had a wonderful evening, Moulin Rouge. You're sounding more and more French every day. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk to you next week, mate. Bonsoir, 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 boy. <laughs> bonsoir, Pepe Le Pew. Um, all right, boys. Derek, thanks again, mate. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Always great to have you here, Willem. Well done. Cheers, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Well, Nige. Nige. Through the glass. Yeah, through the glass. All right. Well, we're crossing our fingers, our toes, and everything. We've had all sorts of drama in women's football in this country. Everything's set up for ugh, a story. What's it going to be? Is it going to be glory? Is it going to be disaster? Peel back the pages day by day as we find out the next stage of the days of our lives that is Australian football um, over the next few days and uh, enjoy the World Cup um, as, it, as it kicks off uh, and join us next week on Box to Box when we, uh, we dig through whatever it is that happened between now and then. Oh, ho, ho, ho.